The Interchange is brought to you by the Yale Clean Energy Conference, happening April 1st through 2nd, 2022. This virtual, global, public event will focus on renewables integration and grid modernization for a clean energy future. Network with leading clean energy experts while utilizing and deepening knowledge of clean energy justice, finance, technology, policy, and careers. To learn more and register for this event, visit yalecleanenergy.info backslash conference. It's been a crazy year for batteries in the residential sector in, in Europe. This is The Interchange Recharged. I'm David Van Miller. Welcome. In this week's episode, we have CEO Andreas Thorsheim joining us all the way from Oslo, Norway, representing Atovo. Andreas, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Andreas and his co-founder, Andreas Benson, founded Atovo in 2016, which has now grown into a pan-European marketplace for residential and commercial solar installations. Atovo offers its customers an opportunity to lease or own their own solar system and then pairs each customer with a local solar installer that Atovo has previously approved of. Atovo wants to help resolve the major issues for consumers when installing solar panels. These issues include price, malpractice, and the durability of the equipment. To help alleviate those pain points, Atovo has vetted over 400 installers across Europe that are reliable and produce quality work. Beyond the installation process and the durability of solar panels, Atovo is breaking down barriers figuratively and literally. They are creating a network of energy producing communities and making it substantially easier for normal people to have the ability to produce their own energy through the use of solar panels. With the rapid expansion of Atovo and the use of renewables across the globe, energy production is currently skyrocketing with a more diverse pool of energy sources than ever before. Where are we keeping all of this energy if no one can use it right away? Does your home have the ability to store energy for a cloudy day? This is where our next guest comes in. Chloe Holden is an energy storage analyst that covers U.S. residential, commercial, and community-scale battery storage. Chloe works here at Wood Mackenzie in the States, and I'm looking forward to hearing what she has to say regarding Atovo and their relationship with community storage. Chloe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Andreas, I'll start with you. Why don't you give us a little bit of an overview of Atovo and the marketplace you guys have created? Yeah, so um, Otovo is a marketplace for um, solar and battery installations in the residential sector. And it combines uh, on the demand homeowners who uh, want to get solar panels on their roof or a, or a battery in their garage. And there's an online solution for them where they can get the quote within a second. It is based on the best bids from local uh, installers. So the, the, the back end of the system or the supply side is about 500 installer companies who um, have input their cost of scaffolding, of driving, of equipment, of labor, and the software launches an auction when you input your address and uh, the, the cheapest uh, installer that meets our quality requirements gets the job. So that's that's how it works. It's a system that was created in, in Norway back in 2016. And Norway, for those who don't know, it's, a, it's the Alaska of Europe, right? So it's a dark place with a, high labor costs. So you need to be super efficient to make uh, to make solar uh, work. And we've kind of taken the, the product we created up there around around Europe and we're present in, in uh, most of the uh, major European markets now. And the customers, are they primarily residential uh, or more commercial? 100% uh, residential. So it's uh, garages, it's homes, it's some agriculture, some barns, but it's a, it's a residential buyer who go to a tovo.es or 
or .it or .de, depending on their country, they input their address and they get an experience that is, um, it's an e-commerce experience. You can you can buy the stuff online as easy as buying a, a pair of shoes or a, or a shirt. But the, but the aim is to is the, it's to address the consumers who are ready to buy this as as a consumer decision. They don't get any PowerPoints or, or site visits from us. And what are the financing options? Are these all direct pay or do you have financing options available for the consumers? No, we've been inspired by the American market where we've seen leasing is a major uh, driver of uh, of demand and opens an addressable market is superior to what you could do if you'd only do direct sales. So we have direct sales, loans and uh, and leases available. And how about the battery storage side? I mean, obviously, that's a pretty uh, key piece of the renewable story. How does that factor into your business? It's been a crazy year for batteries in the residential sector in, in Europe. If we'd recorded this podcast 12 months ago, I would have said batteries is still a few years off in the residential sector in, in Europe. And uh, as we were launching in Italy in April uh, this uh, in 2021, the general manager there insisted that we have batteries on the product lineup because he said the, the Italian consumers are going to want this. You, you need to front load the battery roadmap. And uh, we went with, uh, with his hunch. And uh, now, uh, only three quarters later, we're doing 70% of uh, all sales in Italy are with, with batteries. And it's just been an exceptional growth in the adoption of, of, of batteries where Germany and Italy are the pioneering markets, but there's increasing demand in, in a lot of European markets. And how are you seeing the battery costs? Are you seeing those increase, come down? I mean, obviously, there's some supply chain concerns with raw materials going into those and, and some also technological advancements that are continuing. But how do you see those going forward? This might be a question for uh, for Chloe with some uh, more ability to to look through what is uh, what in terms of manufacturing cost. This year, it's quite hard to see see the trend through all the friction that that's happening on the wholesaler level, local logistics, global uh, shipment cost. So, so we're not seeing a huge progress on on cost this year. But in my view, the trends for batteries are. Uh, super strong. And I think uh, batteries will definitely come come down in price. So, so Chloe, how are you seeing the battery side for the uh, the residential solar market? Yeah, um, for the residential solar market in the US, batteries are an increasingly critical thing to consider. Um, more and more US-based solar installers are offering batteries in their lineup. So similar to what Andreas said, I think folks have been pressured by consumers in many states to move more quickly on batteries. And that kind of creates an interesting tension where there might be folks who are trying to do solar sales and who are more familiar with doing solar sales, but they they also want to take advantage of the battery opportunity, uh, you know, to increase the overall size of an individual sale. But at the same time, um, there's a lot of complexity to navigate still and the supply chain dynamics are part of that. So battery supply currently isn't matching demand in the U.S. There can be long wait times for batteries. And we do at Wood McKenzie see that as something that will resolve um, a lot of manufacturing capacity build out will be part of that. We have new companies entering the residential battery space. So increasing competition, you know, new new manufacturing being built, but then with aftermath of COVID-19 and the really complex global supply chain issues that we're seeing, it is a, a bit of a murky situation. 
um, in terms of the exact timeline for those battery wait times going down. Andreas, just based on the overall solar market that you're seeing, just not only with from the battery supply chain concerns, at least in the near term, but overall, I know that uh, we've seen the cost of solar come down. Do you see it continuing that direction going forward? And obviously, as you as you get more customers, more solar solar panels being installed, you're going to continue to face uh, supply chain issues on on a multitude of areas. We've talked about this actually on a, on a previous podcast as it relates to the panels themselves potentially facing some issues in that regard because it seems like a lot of these renewable technologies go down to the same raw materials. Do you see that on, on a broad landscape uh, going forward? We've built this company with a view about the market that costs in residential installations will come down to below one euro or one dollar per watt. And that means you need to be extremely efficient. And um, we're seeing that becoming the, the norm in Europe, in Spain and uh, Poland that are the maybe most developed market in terms of getting costs down. Cost for installations have been below uh, a euro. It's taking a bit of a, a breather now with um, with post-COVID friction. Uh, so we're not seeing the, the same steep decline as we did maybe last year, but uh, the trend is, is clear. Costs will uh, come down. It, it needs to to build sufficient solar power alongside other new uh, renewables to to replace the reliance on on Russian imports, which is a major concern for uh, for European politicians and consumers right now. You know, I find this fascinating because as I look at the marketplace that that you have created, I mean, a, a lot of people, including myself, if if I wanted to have solar installed, I, I wouldn't know where to start. And you, and you both mentioned the complexities around not only the solar, but the, the battery storage as well. How do you go about bringing the consumers and the installers together? I, I know that you vet the installers to make sure that, um, that you're getting quality work, but how do you go about that process? Yeah, so we're about to enter the UK and maybe we can use that as an example to um, show how we build the marketplace. So we'll be entering the UK this uh, summer and uh, what we do is that we set up shop with a, a general manager that typically comes from Uber or Lime or some other company that has an operational element to it. Uh, this person then uh, recruits an account management team that is tasked with uh, recruiting installer uh, companies across uh, the market. We target installer companies of high quality that have their paperwork in, in order, that have the electrician licenses or, or other things you, you uh, need. They have to prove they've paid their taxes because we want to build this as a, as a clean and safe work environment for the workmen. Once they've done that, they uh, get projects from us that are test installations that get physically inspected by our teams. And then they get to play on the platform by, by setting their own cost. And if they are competitive, they get more work. And if they're not, well, they have you know, less activity. So that's how we build up the uh, supply side. So we were really targeting getting typically 100 installers that have a workforce of between, I'd say, 20, 40 uh, for the smallest installer companies to about 200 employees. That's the size we like to work with. They have a very high rooftop to uh, to back office ratio, so to speak, right? That's, uh, that's where you get the most efficient installers. Then on this demand side, we want homeowners to know we exist. So we um, typically invest in search engine optimization, Google paid advertising, Facebook advertising, similar things to what other e-commerce platforms do to attract customers. 
And we're very focused also on creating ambassadors and referral programs and the things that uh, allows you to build a, a brand over uh, time. So I, I think that will probably look similar to other e-commerce uh, players. And it's expensive in the first uh, quarter or two, but eventually you get you know people uh, telling their neighbors and their colleagues, you get the presence online and customer acquisition comes, comes uh, down. So that's uh, that's the model, combining quality installers with uh, homeowners who are looking to get solar panels or batteries. You guys are obviously in a in a number of countries right now and, and continuing to expand. What are the common aspects for the regions that you find most beneficial to support that growth, both from a, a policy standpoint or a consumer attitude standpoint? I mean, obviously, there's going to be differences. But what types of common themes do you see that are really primed to either expand into new areas or continue the growth? Well, what's great in Europe is that the policy framework between the different countries is homogenous. So the EU has set out in its um, policies a rule set where prosumers have rights to input power into the electrical uh, grid without being uh, taxed or penalized for it. So the member states, um, even though they sometimes get influenced by utilities to reduce the attractiveness of, of solar power, have this framework that they can't escape and that gives consumers uh, rights and is um, a positive uh, for consumers and negative for incumbents. So that makes it a pretty fair playing field for new technologies coming into the market. Then on top of that, the EU has created its European uh, Green Deal, which is a stimulus program targeting energy efficiency, uh, solar power, EVs, lots of lots of green initiatives across the continent. And that was gathering momentum during 2021, but is picking up pace now within uh, the focus on uh, avoiding uh, gas uh, imports from, um, from uh, uh, Russia. And on top of that, you have uh, national policies that uh, may or may not be funded by the European uh, Green Deal that typically take the shape of investment support. So you can get 10, 20, in some countries, even 55% of the installation covered by the government. So that's that's helpful to reduce payback times for consumers. In general, permitting is quite variable. Grid permitting, very big differences between the countries uh, where Poland is at the extremely speedy end, where any installation below six kilowatt hours does not need any permitting. So you can just put it up on the grid without uh, doing anything. To, to Norway, where, for example, there's three to four months waiting time. So you'll have this uh, variance there. You'll have local permitting on, on building permits, et cetera, that can also take time. Uh, so th- that's where Europe isn't homogenous. A lot of differences on, on the bureaucracy and paperwork. Chloe, how do you see the model of Atovo being adopted in the States? And, and how critical of a piece do you think the energy storage connection aspect is to that? Yeah, well, any kind of online marketplace can be really valuable, I, I definitely think. You know, an online marketplace can help customers make sense of what's ultimately a kind of technical value proposition. Um, so when you add storage to a, uh, a solar system, you are adding another level of complexity and, and any kind of tools to help reach clarity, help sort through different options is helpful. The U.S. does have marketplaces. A, a very popular one is Energy Sage, which is owned by Schneider Electric. There's lots of room, though, I think, for competitors in this space. 
The other alternative, you know, is outbound outreach to customers. Not every customer um, who ends up with a solar and battery system wakes up one day knowing that they want one. Um, in the United States, there's still a very, very active door-to-door solar um, sales model. Early in my career, I actually did door-to-door solar sales, so I, I know what I'm talking about there. It's a bit of a slog, but it really showed me how when you you know, are speaking to a person, you can translate these technical questions of kilowatt hours and, you know, equipment on your roof to value. So bill savings for solar by itself and for solar plus storage, it's in the U.S. resilience to power outages is the key driver. But there are also some opportunities for savings when it comes to markets with time of use rates and and certain rate structures and then hopefully additional savings opportunities as costs come down into the future. What do you see as the biggest barrier to growth here in the States, Chloe? Is it the battery side of it? Is it the aesthetics of the solar panels? Or is it policy? What What do you see as kind of the greatest barrier? Yeah, twofold. I, I think cost continues to be the greatest barrier just by virtue of batteries adding costs to a system. I'll I'll caveat that by saying that there are financing options that even in some cases allow you to go zero down, but it's cost in the perception of cost that stops a lot of homeowners from moving forward on a solar plus storage system for their home. They think it will take an initial upfront investment or it factually will, and, and that's a deterrent. Another key barrier is policy. This is a kind of technology that is going to be increasingly important to decarbonize the grid and plays a role in in fighting climate change and also dealing with um, the increasing power outages that we're seeing in many states around the United States. So there are things that could be done to speed up the integration of solar plus storage into the grid. Um, A lot more cooperation from utilities would be very helpful, but on many occasions they do drag their feet just because this is new to them and, and they're a little reluctant to change their ways. So those two issues are, are barriers at this point. But despite the barriers, things are growing. Andreas, any, I, I knew you're, you're in a, a growth phase right now and, and adding additional regions, but any thoughts of eventually maybe expanding into the U.S. market? We have our hands full in Europe uh, right now. Uh, Europe has about 50% the larger population in the U.S., um, a larger proportion of detached homes, but has lower solar installation rates. So I think Europe represents a fantastic potential for rooftop solar and storage right now. Uh, that being said, we've we've ventured across the the Atlantic and have a joint venture in Brazil, um, and uh, I think we're we're not afraid of trying out more things. But right now, I, I feel that the mission is to put solar panels on every roof in in Europe and. Uh, we have the, the work cut out for us there. There's a couple of hundred million homes that need to get uh, covered in panels here first. Jokes aside, I think um, we will see companies bridging the Atlantic uh, within years. Um, I think perhaps as some of the larger US uh, players might be interested in doing M&A in Europe or equipment uh, manufacturers uh, integrating vertically, like with the Schneider uh, Energy Sage uh, uh, deal, uh, I think we'll see more uh, things like this or or even players entering the other continent organically. So what has been two very separate markets might find itself with similar players or the same players um, increasingly in the in years to come. And, and kind of a, a same question as I asked Chloe, what do you see as the biggest barriers 
to your growth. I mean, obviously you're, you're continuing to grow. Uh, and the fourth quarter that you had was pretty strong, but obviously what, what do you think needs to happen to help further that accelerated growth? In the short term, it's um, it's supply side constraints. So it's equipment, the timely delivery of that equipment, the uh, move of workforce into uh, renewable installations that is coming from carpentry or uh, or other electrician work, etc. So there's a mobilization of people and equipment to satisfy a demand that is in many countries in Europe up three four x from last year. It's just been an incredible year with electricity prices in wholesale markets multiple times higher. Uh, and this is not a passing event like the, the Texas freeze or, or something like that. This is just continuously higher electricity prices and now an added security situation. So demand is way up. And in that way, I think in the medium term, once the supply side uh, gets solved, it's really clear skies ahead. And then in a bit longer term, as you start adding millions of units of storage and, and solar, you will never have to look at market organization because this is going to carve out an enormous part of the business model of utilities. It's going to change maybe the, the, the revenue composition for, uh, for governments in some countries. So there's going to have to be some big thinking at the highest levels with regards to market uh, organization, because I, I really do think that every solar system is going to be sold with a battery within only a few years. And then eventually you'll see solar and batteries in every single home and what that, what that does to the grid and how you organize things well that's uh, that's a big market organization uh, question i agree with you on the on the battery side of that and, and i mean do you think from a policy standpoint that governments are doing enough i mean we had cop 26 and there was a lot of promises that came out of that but do you think we're on the right path from the government standpoint it's a bit on the slow side, but I think policies are a lot more mature than the crazy feed-in tariffs that we saw in Europe 10 to 15 years ago. And uh, I think policies are maturing in order to sort of stimulate the, these industries in a in a sound way. But it's a bit weak, right? You uh, and, and the crisis in the energy sector in Europe illustrates that. Had we been better in the 2010s on energy efficiency, on EV adoption, on solar stimulants, then the situation now would be very different. Uh, I think society has been caught a bit on the on the back foot. And if there's a learning to that, um, it probably should be that um, we should allow ourselves a bit more aggressive paced policies going, going forward. The Interchange is brought to you by the inaugural Yale Clean Energy Conference happening online April 1st to April 2nd, 2022. This year, the focus is on renewables integration and grid modernization for a clean energy future. Sessions will feature leading clean energy experts and aim to utilize and deepen knowledge of clean energy justice, finance, technology, policy, and careers. Across the world, attention to environmentalism and funneling of resources into clean energy is rising. The number of employment opportunities focused on clean energy is increasing. This conference will feature networking opportunities for job seekers and job creators to connect with one another. Content and career development offerings will appeal to both professionals currently in the field and students pursuing careers in clean energy. A keynote address will be given by Shalonda Baker, Deputy Director for Energy Justice at the U.S. Department of Energy. Other confirmed speakers include David Roberts, Gladys Brown Dutrill, Richard Kaufman, Katie Dykes, and Dan Gross, just to name a few. Explore our agenda, see our speakers, 
and register at yalecleanenergy.info slash conference before April 1st. Chloe, what are your thoughts on what policy is doing right now to help further the growth here in the States from a a solar and, and just a battery storage side? Definitely. I mean, a very key policy supporting residential solar in the U.S. is the solar investment tax credit, um, which is really critical in you know, bringing down the overall cost of systems. And you know, currently, that Build Back Better legislation, which would have extended that tax credit, is things are not looking so good for that bill. But there is potential for the ITC to be extended. So we we do hope to see that in order to help build that solar market into the future, because that does boost our forecast at Wood Mackenzie. Beyond the ITC, though, there are a number of things, and a lot of them are actually done at the state level. State government has a big role to play, and state public utility commissions in the United States have a big role to play, a really important job where they can do things to you know, provide incentives and guide the market. One exciting area of growth is virtual power plants. That is just the concept of networking solar and storage systems and homes together to help shape the electric load profile of a region. So, for example, if you have solar and storage in your home, that can allow you to run off your solar and storage during a time when the grid has a lot of demand and stress on the system. And acting essentially to provide for your home and make it so you don't need to activate a peaker plant, which is a special power plant that we tend to turn on under the current system at those times of high demand. And and there are other forms, uh, there are other sort of applications for the virtual power plant idea, but that is something that we're seeing a lot of early growth in. Um, We're seeing Tesla just last year kind of sent out a mailing to all of its solar and storage customers in California saying, you know, join our virtual power plant. Let us control your system and your home remotely in times where, you know, your community needs, you know, you to stop using quite as much power. You can just use power from your solar a few minutes a day, you know, for a given hour. And I think surprisingly, people are, are open to that. Um, you know, you might think that's in my home, you know, don't touch it. But a lot of folks are, are really interested in that kind of virtual power plant model where their home is, is part of what's providing power to their own community. Um, that can be something that's really interesting, but regulation needs to shift around that. So we're seeing um, progress in the United States around FERC Order 2222, kind of a technical order that makes it possible to network some of those smaller systems together and, and use them in that way. And I'm excited to see where that goes and and hopefully even moves in a direction of compensating homeowners for the role that their systems are providing. We're seeing similar where uh, Germany and the UK are pioneering uh, countries with regards to the legislation creating a market for capacity. And that means you can aggregate up mm-hmm. thousands of electric vehicle charge or uh, fixed batteries and participate in, in capacity uh, markets. And um, that means there's uh, tens of uh, euros to be made for a homeowner in a, in, in a month if your particular team uh, of aggregated distributed energy assets is, is performing well. And that's sufficient really to, to impact your electricity bill that month. And I think to me, that's um, an indicator where these markets will go over the next uh, decade. Um, really creating a benefits for the consumers when they help out to stabilize uh, the grid, to stabilize 
demand. And there's an enormous potential on, on this. My view is that between then and now, it's a big rollout job of stuff, right? You can, can't get a virtual power plants to really work if it's 200 people. It needs to be 20,000 people. It needs to be megawatts and, and not kilowatts. Mm-hmm. You need to, to get up in size. So right now it needs to be a, a mad dash for volume. It needs to be lots of stuff going into people's uh, homes. So EV chargers, batteries, solar panels, we need to add them to homes in the, in the hundreds of thousands. Um, and, and not in the tens of thousands like we've sort of been doing in the last few years in, in European markets. So, Andreas, in order to help further the adoption, I think what we've seen is is historically it's been very sporadic in terms of the adoption, particularly of, of renewables. Uh, and, and you kind of wait for that snowball to start rolling. And I think we're at the beginning part of the snowball with with further acceleration of the energy transition, the adoption of solar. What is kind of your pitch to the customer on why it benefits them. I mean, there's kind of the two main aspects, right? There's there's being green and helping the environment, which obviously this does. But then there's the financial aspect, and people may be afraid of the cost side of things. What's your pitch to them to help let them know that long term this is a cost saving initiative? Consumers care about three things: is this going to save me money? Can I trust the installer and the equipment that goes on my roof? And is it going to be too much of a hassle? And depending on the, the consumer, those three things will be important to, to varying degrees. And we try to, to answer those. In Southern Europe, this is a no-brainer. If you have a leased system and with a Tovo, you can get it for zero money down. A Spanish consumer with a six kilowatt uh, system will typically cut his power bill from about 130 euros a month to 50 euros a month with a leased solar system on his roof. The lease payment for that will be about 50 euros a month. And you'll have 30 euros of savings applicable from the first month you get the solar panels up on the roof. And that really makes it a, a complete no-brainer. You don't have to talk about uh, payback times. You don't have to, to talk too much about the development of grid tariffs and power prices uh, 20 years fr- from now. You can see the immediate effect on your power bill in April and May and June. Well, it's great. Let's do it. So that's the first thing. You need to talk about cost savings and you need to beat the regular grid tariff prices. And that means installers and the sales process need to be super, super efficient. Then with, with regards to trust, this is an industry with lots of local uh, installers. Some of them do a terrific job and I'd like to welcome them on the platform and some don't. And if you look at France, for example, the handyman sector with the most complaints to the consumer authorities is the solar installer sector. In France, the key word that goes most often with photovoltaics is scams. So, of course, you want to address the fact that you are a trusted brand. You have maybe partnerships with major automakers or utilities that create trust. You want to show your trust pilot or Google review scores to say thousands of customers have chosen this uh, this already. That's that's really important. And then you're left with the uh, removal of uh, of obstacles. And I think leasing is a key uh, product there because it takes away the number one hurdle for homeowners. And that's having five, 10, 15,000 euros available to, to, to spend this month. You know, European consumers are in a pinch uh, with, uh, with high electricity prices, higher inflation. The taking away that upfront investment cost, that's um, the, the number one task. But there's also things like the, the home visit and uh, 
collecting multiple quotes and all these things that make getting solar panels into a chore. And you don't, you don't want that. You want it to be something that you click buy. And then a few weeks later, a van drives up to your house. And the next day you get extra happy when the sun shines because, you know, it that protects your, your power bill. Chloe, do you see the similar points with the consumers in the U.S.? And do you see it kind of taking off a little bit more now, given the fact that we've got high inflation and the energy costs are, are significantly higher than they were a year ago? Do you see it um, expanding? Yes. Utility rates are rising in the U.S. and there have been some really notable cases of that. And that is definitely going to help drive solar sales. So a lot of similar things there um, to what we, Andreas, was referring to in Europe. And then on the storage side, for, for us in the U.S., power outages are the other key part of that. So I think that for the American customer of solar plus storage, they are, on the one hand, interested in solar savings on their bill. But then on the other hand, they're, they're interested in a battery for resilience. And I think that a message that really resonates with the American consumer is this idea of energy independence, which is a phrase that has kind of been bandied around a lot in the United States over the last 20 years or so, but really becomes real for a family when you can generate your own power, save your own power, and get through emergencies that way. So that's a key driver in the United States. And in terms of how fast the market is growing, storage really took off in 2021 in the U.S., similar to what Andreas was, was talking about in Europe. The growth was just astounding, and we expect to see that growth continue through 2030. I uh, can just echo two key words here, resilience and independence. And they might take on a bit different meaning in Europe because their resilience is about perhaps more about energy security for the nation, about reducing reliance on, on foreign imports of, imports of gas, but it's still the same theme. It just has a bit of a different uh, reasoning. And independence is also about independence from unpredictable grid tariff changes, volatile power markets that are typically more market-based in Europe, a bit surprisingly. So you get exposure to intraday, intra-hour swings. So this independence from an unpredictable power market, that is something that is super attractive for the European consumer. Trace, why don't you talk a little bit about your financing experience, how you evolved Atovo, where it is today, and just the overall environment and what you've seen from capital providers. Atovo was founded in uh, Oslo, Norway in 2016. We've uh, raised about 100 million euros to date through Nordic Utilities and retail investor that is called Axel Johnson, a heavy investor in the solar industry. And we went public on the Oslo Stock Exchange in February of 2021. So we've been public for a bit more than a, than a year now. And that period has really been night and day in terms of fundraising for distributed energy. And in 2016, when we started, uh, the MIT Tech Review had on its front page, venture capital, the wrong model for uh, distributed energy or, or something like that. Fast forward to, to 2021-22, where there's just this uh, incredible motivation and, and willingness to move into ESG-compatible companies to, to invest in things that are prepared for the future, both climate-wise, uh, security-wise, and, and other topics. It's, it's really night and day, and thankfully, we're in a better environment now than, than we were back then. Yeah, previous guests we've had had said three years ago, they were you know trying to get 
financing providers to meet with them. And these days, it's they can fill up their day meeting with capital providers. So it's definitely a changed environment. On the equity side, it's been night and day, but I see the large European banks increasing from you know, 50% debt financing of, of leasing portfolios was considered a, a daring move two, three years ago. And now you're seeing banks moving up to the 80s, 90s, and fast approaching levels for securitization or, or debt financing that are up around where you see in the U.S. I was going to ask you about where you're seeing the capital flowing from. I mean, historically, it's been the pension funds, the VC funds. And what role have you seen the banks participating in the energy transition? Because I know they continue to be interested in the technology surrounding it. So you're seeing more capital from the banks flowing into the sector. And, and also, what are you seeing from a rate standpoint? Are the risk premiums that they're charging and the financing starting to come down with uh, clean tech? I think the major driver here has been volumes. Europe has been lagging at the U.S. in terms of uh, deployed capital into uh, into to leasing assets. And obviously, if you have small volumes, you can't be relevant to all pockets of funding. But as you get bigger volumes, cost of capital comes uh, down, and that's been the, the major trend. Risk premium is also coming down as uh, the financing side sees that uh, having portfolios of tens of thousands of European homeowners with uh, a locked-in revenue streams, very distributed uh, risk, and uh, typically also inflation-protected cash flows, which is increasingly relevant these uh, these days. So the appetite and interest is increasing uh, a lot from the financing side, yes. So Andreas, it seems like, um, you know, obviously there's the increased funding uh, and ability to participate. But I think, you know, with, with you guys going public a year ago, there's going to be the opportunity continuing for the individual investor to be able to participate in these companies. And the other thing is with more public companies out there in the clean tech environment, you can have more equity research behind it. And so people are going to get more informed because one of the things that a number of guests have talked about as it relates to the energy transition and whether it be solar you know, wind, batteries, or, or the grid uh, in particular, which is obviously very uh, relevant to this discussion, is just the information uh, and getting people to understand a little bit more on what everything entails and the reliability around it. Definitely. And I think um, forces are pulling in the same direction uh, here. And research, uh, both of the type of what McKenzie provides and, and what you see equity analysts uh, very much needed. I had to educate investors about you know what they're seeing. You're investing a lot now to get future cash flows. Are you doing well? You're front-loading a lot of costs. How do you read these P&Ls? How do you visualize the fact that you're creating value? And there's still a lot of work to be done for the European investor and, and debt investors here. I, I think not everyone is fully educated on, on what's uh, possible in these markets. I'll jump in there. I want to agree that solar and storage companies have had to do a lot to educate investors. And I think just for anyone either in the space or outside it who's curious about how these companies are, are speaking to investors, reading the earnings of Tesla, Sunrun, Sonova, um, their quarterly reports are really illuminating and can help anyone learn a lot about distributed solar and storage and kind of how these companies are making their case to investors. Chloe, one of the things that we've talked about was reliability. And I think uh, that comes just from the consumer, it's the reliability of the power generation, but it's also the reliability in terms of battery and storage. 
What do you think needs to be done from the battery standpoint here in the States to help further the adoption of solar with battery attached? Is it purely a cost? Is it a cost plus technology advancement? What do you think needs to be done to help with the expansion? Absolutely. There are so many facets of expanding solar plus storage here in the U.S. Um, that it's it's hard to even rank them. There's a lot that battery installers can do. Um, I think as Andreas alluded to earlier, um, being very straightforward and clear about what a solar plus storage system can and, and cannot do. Um, for example, with backup, depending on the size of the home, you may need one two batteries, um, you know, three if you if you have a large home. There are certain things that will be online when the power goes off with your battery and, and certain things that may not, depending on the size of your system. So clarity around that and accountability on the part of the installer is, is really vital to build trust with customers because it is a great value proposition, but there needs to be trust there. Then another element kind of between vendors and installers is mastering the install itself. That is something that's really dynamic and changing right now. There are a lot of new residential uh, battery models on the market, and they all kind of offer a different experience for the installer who's working with them. So battery vendors can do a lot to train installers on how to quickly and efficiently install their product in a way that prevents kind of any issues, which sometimes do happen when an installation is taking place that would require the, the installer to come back and, and kind of tweak something. So good training for installers and, you know, expanding labor force of well-trained solar plus storage installers is really essential. And then in general, I mean, marketing is going to be really vital. And, you know, what Andreas was talking about, how he markets a Tovo beyond kind of making sure you show up with Google AdWords Solar Plus Storage can do a lot. I was in San Juan, Puerto Rico recently, which is a very uh, significant U.S. Solar Plus Storage market due to issues with power reliability there. And I, I saw my first ever uh, Solar Plus Storage billboard uh, with a Tesla Powerwall, and uh, it was from a local installer. And it really shows how this is a product that is beginning to enter public consciousness in a serious way. So brand recognition is growing. Um, you know, brands outside of Tesla. And we saw a lot of EV ads at the Super Bowl, the most recent uh, Super Bowl this year. And maybe eventually we'll, we'll see some with solar plus storage as well, because that will really help, I think, tip customers into a place of comfort with this technology. I think uh, home storage is a, roughly where mobile phones were in, in 2000 when we had Motorola's and, and Blackberries and still didn't have the iPhone. And it's it's not that the product is bad, it's that it's great actually, but it's just going to get a lot better over the next few uh, years, uh, really making the batteries consumer ready because they're coming from industrial applications and, and an industrial mindset. But that's going to have to change as consumers you know demand more and you move away from the sort of engineering dad stereotype who's the first mover here and get into the to the normal household consumer who will have different asks with regards to aesthetics, ease of use, and uh, sort of a low-hassle working uh, home appliance. Um, there's a, a lot of work to be done there. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of the points that Chloe raised about concerns, uh, the, the trust, uh, the quality of the installation, Atovo is, is trying to take that and address it directly 
the with the qualified installers, you know, the software point that you brought up, making sure and, and just getting that trust in there that when they get the system that they've got the quality work and, and somebody standing behind it. And and also to your point though about a lot of these batteries have come from the industrial mindset. I mean they've come from big power generation and not necessarily for your standard home, which is adoption and advancement that need or transition rather that needs to be uh, continued for individual use. This industry always gets there. I mean, uh, we started a Tovo back in 2016. A panel back then was 50 watt uh, affair at best, right? And now the standard is more like 400 watt panels and costs uh, less per panel than it, it did back then. And we're seeing the, the inverters becoming smaller and more silent and a lot more software integrated with each inverter uh, maker. And, and for sure, batteries are going to follow the same path, cheaper, better, and uh, easier to use, definitely. So just kind of final thoughts here, Chloe, I'll, I'll start with you. Where do you see solar plus storage in the States in 10 years? What's your big prediction? I think my big prediction is that in 10 years, so 2032, there will be solar plus storage in many hundreds, more thousands of homes. And I think that by 2032, there will be some incidents, kind of highly publicized incidents, like what happened in California a couple summers ago where power outages were happening due to heat and too much demand on the grid. I think that by 2032, we will see homeowners, solar plus storage network together, kind of swooping in to help ease some of those situations by collectively you know, reducing demand from those homes, potentially feeding power into the grid when it's needed. And that that will kind of be in full swing, um, those applications. And then that in turn will attract more people to this technology. I'm personally very excited to see that. Another prediction for 2032 is that there will be a, a robust supply chain for residential solar plus storage that is a little bit less um, stressed than today's supply chain. And I, I think that will take place even despite increasing demand for electric vehicles, which in some cases can kind of take battery attention away from batteries for the home since they do draw on similar supply chains. But I think that there's so much attention going to this space right now that within 10 years, we'll have the supply needed to meet the demand for solar plus storage. Andreas, how about you? Where do you see Atovo in 10 years in the overall market? Within five years, uh, we want to reach uh, 100,000 installations uh, uh, per year. Uh, and what I can say about the market is that I think within those 10 years, we're going to reach 100% attachment rates. So storage sold with every single PV system. We're going to see most PV systems also installed on the roof where there's an electric vehicle in that home. So that's added storage uh, that you'll see as solar to vehicle charging. And I think... Uh, uh, eventually, over the decade after that, you'll see you know, batteries in every single home. And I'm not sure exactly what the figures will be, but maybe a third or more of electricity will be produced and stored at the place where it gets consumed. Well, this has been a great discussion, Andreas. I, I appreciate you being on the call, so thank you. But how can we keep up with Atovo going forward? You can uh, find us on Atovo Solar uh, on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And uh, for users wanting wanting to get solar panels or batteries, they can use their local Atobo uh, site followed by the country code. Uh, thank you for hosting us, uh, David, and uh, thanks for a great uh, conversation, Chloe. Chloe, appreciate your insights 
on this and how can people learn more and, and keep up with what you're putting out? Thank you so much for having us on, David. Wood Mackenzie's research into energy storage goes really deep on both sides of the meter and globally. So one of our main U.S. reports, where we'll be releasing a new edition of that uh, pretty soon, is called the Energy Storage Monitor. So searching the Wood Mackenzie Energy Storage Monitor can direct you to a lot of up-to-date research on how much storage has been installed and what we're forecasting into the future. And personally, I'm on Twitter at Chloe Holden 7 So look forward to catching up with you on Twitter. Thank you both once again for joining the podcast. Thank you. Commercial and residential buildings represent around 13% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. If business structures like Atovo are currently operating in seven European countries, with continued expansion still on the horizon, then maybe a structure similar can also work here on U.S. soil. 13% can easily be lowered if we are able to teach people that solar power is reliable, safe, and efficient. Not only is Atovo giving its customers a feeling of autonomy over their energy supply, but they're also giving them a sense of connectedness to their community. Community storage can help solve the cloudy day problem and give people the option to sell energy to their neighbors down the road if need be. Once again, I would like to thank Chloe from Wood Mackenzie and Andreas from Atovo for joining me on today's episode of The Interchange Recharged. Thank you. See you on the next episode.